Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. Uh, This week we are bringing you part two of our discussion that we started about a month ago regarding uh, the early 2000s Max Rawhide Kids series Slap Lover. Our intention going in is to probably finish off the miniseries in this episode. Depending how long we spend on these issues, maybe we'll have to do a third part, but our intention is to make it all the way through issues number uh, three through five. And as per usual, just uh, our creator roll call, same as the first two issues, we have Ron Zimmerman is our writer, John Severin is the artist, Steve Bucolato on colors, Richard and Wes at Comic Craft on lettering, And as we said last time, a different artist does the cover for each issue in this series. So starting off just with issue number three is what we have next to discuss. This is a cover by Terry Dodson. And it's not bad. It's not as instantly iconic as the first two, but it's essentially just the shot of the rawhide kid in a brothel surrounded by the biggest boobs in the wild, wild west, all fawning over him. Buxom babes is what you would call that. <laughs> Buxom is the term, yeah. The titties are flying out of what very little cloth is on them. Or rather, on the nipples and not much else. Barely able to cover those. All the tits are being hit by an anti-grav ray. They're just floating up into the air. In the gay cowboy series, one of them is like looking at him smiling and rubbing his cheek and I don't know how to describe the look on his face. It's not like deer in headlights is an exaggeration. I guess he's kind of like, why are you showing me this much attention? I'm not showing you any attention. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't, I actually have no idea how to describe the expression. I guess he's supposed to look like maybe confused or alarmed. I guess. When it would probably feel more accurate to say that he would be in the brothel just laughing and joking around with all of them. Maybe the one who's touching his cheek is the one who doesn't realize how well-dressed he is and he's confused because she's actually hitting on him. I don't know. I feel like he would just be, you know, criticizing their taste in clothes or complimenting, depending. Yeah, yeah. That's been his standard interactions with women so far. His standard interactions with women so far have been, learn how to dress and leave me alone with your boyfriend. (laughs) Listeners, if you didn't already, go back and listen to our discussion of part one of the Rawhide Kid slap lever. The really the main thing you've missed is that he is now a big old sissy boy. I'm allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that listeners depending on which listener you are you may or may not be allowed to say that i believe the term they used last time in the book was daisy boy (laughs) another one you're possibly not allowed to say but anywho this is the controversial gay rawhide kid book that as we said last time actually slaps and as we'll get into this week only continues to slap and slaps harder like slapping lever but anywho we've discussed the cover Issue number three begins, essentially, last time, 
Rawhide had agreed to be the new deputy in town to help out Sheriff Matt Morgan after the old deputy got killed. And we open in the early morning with Rawhide outside of the sheriff's house, just doing some shooting practice in his assless chaps with nothing else but his underwear and his cowboy hat on, just showing off what good of a shot he is to no one in particular. And his abs. And his abs, yeah. And yeah, we're just treated to more shots of him like hitting every single target, reiterating what a great marksman he is. And before long, uh, the sheriff's son, Toby, comes out and starts talking to the Rawhide kid. And essentially, he talks about wanting to learn to shoot like Rawhide. And Rawhide goes, Honey, no one can shoot like me. I've just got the touch. And Toby just reiterates, But I just want to shoot like that. And Rawhide just goes, Toby, sweetie, you're cute, but getting a little irritating now. I'm the best shot that ever lived, okay? Best fighter, best shot, best horseback rider. The mold's gone, broken, Bye bye thrown away. I am one of a kind. Certainly not lacking for confidence here. He's so self-assured, it's like, you could decide, you know, if you think, like, stuck up is too derogatory a way to put it. But, hey, he can back it up. You know? <laughs> he does consistently back it up. He walks the walk. He does not just talk the talk. But... He will absolutely talk the talk, though. He will, and it's very fun. Toby just keeps begging to learn some shots. Um, the kid relents, admits he's being a little mean, and decides, yeah, we can do some shooting practice this morning. And then the father, the sheriff, wakes up, comes out outside, and he asks... Thought you said she was a late riser. To which point the rawhide kid says, I had nightmares that scared me to heaven and back. Guess I'm not used to sleeping in a house full of men. Alone. Yeah, you can get used to sleeping under the stars. That little hint missed you by a mile. Huh? Never mind. No one ever said handsome and smart were inseparable. Yeah, um, we talked a little bit last time about how rawhide has a thing for the sheriff. I would say in this issue and going on, it becomes even more and more apparent as the flirtation gets all the more blatant and Matt just continues to be the densest person in this entire town. Yeah, literally everyone else picks up on it. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't notice that, but Matt does notice the Rawhide Kid's state of dress and says, Hope you're planning to wear some pants under them chaps when you go into town. It's a might natural for law, man. And, and also, we get a few lines later, Rawhide just saying, Not to worry, I always wear my costume when I go out. I love getting recognized. Price of fame and I'm happy to pay it. I was just enjoying the wind on my cheeks. Huh? You're rare in a hat. Oh, right. Those. Yes, Matt. Those. He is winking as he says that, by the way. And then shoots another target dead on. As we established, these are assless chaps. These are assless chaps? Very unattractive looking underwear under them, but I suppose... Period. Yeah, I guess Accurate. they probably yeah. didn't have super sexy underwear options in the 1800s, was, I wouldn't know. He was wearing that black leather thing the uh, two issues ago. 
But, like, yeah, that was practically just, like, a Speedo. Yeah, I don't know. But then I guess we wouldn't be able to see it because it would be pretty much colored the same as the pants and then it would be hard to discern that these are, in fact, assless chaps. Anywho, half-naked rawhide. It's a Max issue. They could have just had him nude underneath it. They sure could have, and then there would have been something to give us the rating. Finally would have been justified. But Rawhide keeps talking with um, the sheriff a bit and tells him how he's going to help teach Toby how to shoot a little bit. Matt remarks that his son hasn't been learning much from him as of late. Going back to last episode's whole thing of... Toby now feels ashamed and embarrassed by his father after his father got just his ass whooped unceremoniously by the bandits so much. And now, essentially, we have Matt in his moments of, like, masculinity crisis and competency crisis while we have rawhide kids wishing about being in all manners other than well-dressed, being just the competency that Matt wishes he could be and that the son looks up to and just... Basically, the sheriff was the top dog in town, got knocked off of that pedestal really severely, and now Rawhide Kid is here to just be like, I broke the mold. It's done. I am the best. Um, but yeah, Rawhide is actually, like, kind of pissed off by this and insists that not only is he a wonderful daddy... Um, <laughs> daddy, not father. He says daddy. Oh, and that he has a terrific taste in furniture. Yeah, the rawhide kid just is all about Matt Morgan and is like sincerely trying to uplift him a bit. You know, tells him what a good father he is. Is generally just, you know, outside of the flirting, is just being legitimately nice. And as you said, that includes compliments on the home. Specifically, you have a lovely home and terrific taste in furniture, to which Matt says, Thanks, I try to stick to earth tones. We're feeling the waters a little bit here with the potential Daddy Morgan and interior decorating. But, uh, yeah, a lot of this conversation is just those same basic things of just, you know, his crisis of competency and his son not looking up to him anymore. Then there's a little bit about dreams and uh, Morgan interpreting the dream for him. It's a garbled mess. I didn't get what any of that was. I, th I think it's just meant to be, like, a, a lot of times in comics, characters will have, like, I mean, in stories in general, but especially like, comics love a dream sequence. I guess this is just maybe a joke on, like, the dream doesn't actually mean anything. It's just a garbled mess. Yeah, because there's, like, parts of it with, like, a tunnel, and I'm naked, and it's, like, that part reads, like, you know, the obvious thought would be, that's sexual somehow, but then also there's, like, Rawhide's mom is in his dream, which if there's any man who has never had an edible complex, it is the Rawhide kid, <laughs> and also specifically mentions... My mother is at the other end of the tracks, and she's shouting, All your father does is hurt us. Which, for now, don't really need to get into, but just a thing to keep in mind when we'll get to the Rawhide Kids family some more later on. Yeah, that's a little bit of setup for later. Yeah, and 
At the end of this conversation, Rawhide tells Matt to call him Trey, to which he asks, that your given name, is it? And he then goes, no, I just like the name Trey. And if this is a reference to anything specific, I don't know it. So I'm not sure if I'm missing, like, another joke built in here. I, I don't remember any trays from the early 2000s, but yeah. Yeah. Their conversation gets interrupted by Toby coming over, bringing supplies to practice shooting with. Except in the process of it, he calls his dad a coward again. The rawhide kid then decides he's not going to teach him. He goes, what is wrong with you? I'm just furious with you right now. And Toby goes, what did I do? And he replies, it's what you didn't do. Because again, Toby is just being really cruel and shitty to his dad. And the rawhide kid is not abiding it. Which, it's like things like this that I think, you know, like balance out the ego. And it's just like, oh no, you're nice actually. The thing about it is the sheriff is, like, not a coward. He is not a great gunman, but, like, he stood there and kept getting shot. Yeah, it's like... He didn't run away. He yeah. pulled his gun out. He's not a coward. It's like, even just, like, calling him... Like, I wouldn't even say incompetent, because I feel like that would be too cruel or derogatory of a term it's just he simply was not a match for the bandits that came into town he's not a legendary outlaw he is a dude who used to be a farmer who has just sort of wound up being sheriff yeah exactly and is just a nice man doing his best to be a quote wonderful daddy he can handle most normal situations because clearly everyone likes him before this yeah which speaking of the bandits that whooped his ass before throughout these events we're going to get just various cuts to and forth uh cisco pike and his gang there's an ongoing gag about like cisco pike drawing maps in the dirt for their plans and him just not being very good at drawing maps and just there's like a lot of banter between the gang members which it's not like bad but it's one of the parts of the series that like least do anything for me i guess like most of the personalities just aren't that interesting to me are there even any good dirt maps i don't think i've ever seen a, a scene in a movie where there's a map drawn in the dirt and i'm like yes that looks like a great map yeah like it's mostly just like you come in from the east i'll come in from the west we're gonna visualize it here with as much pillaging as these guys do could they not have stole some paper can I not just keep some paper and a pencil around? Because this isn't so old that it's pre-just writing things down. That's probably assuming any of them can read. True enough. There's gotta be at least, like, I don't know, two of them? There's like 20 of these guys. But also on the note of Cisco Pike's gang, there's a handful of characters that, in the style of the old-school Western comics are really just very stereotypical and um, specifically are like the only not white characters in the book and they're very stereotypical and that there's just like two Asian members of the gang that are martial artists and then there's one Native American member and a lot of their dialogue is just like reminds the reader of that fact 
Oral be like arguing with Cisco about like different religious beliefs and they're not on panel very much and honestly that's probably for the best because like even though you know it's hardly the worst example of any of this you'll ever see but it still is just really flat racial stereotype characterization that yeah it's an unnecessary addition yeah just like you know, it would have been fine if they had more gang members that weren't white, if they also just either, if they just weren't so stereotypical, I guess, like, hell, even if they kept, like, how to say this, you know, like, not even a matter of, like, you know, like, they could still be differentiated, and, like, I suppose we could still have, like, the martial artist or stuff like that of, like, you know, like, I don't necessarily need them to all act and dress and et cetera, et cetera, like all of the white characters, if they also just, you know, had some depth or personality beyond just, hello, I'm here to be a racial stereotype. But, Hi, I'm from this place. Yeah, but they're just really flat. They contribute nothing to the book other than just a sense of uncomfortableness reading it. But in the midst of our discussions between the gang members... We get another member of the gang is riding over from, I guess, having done, like, spy work, or I suppose, like, scouting ahead. And he's shouting about what big news he has, and just keeps repeating, I got big news. What is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's big. Until Cisco Pike just, like, fucking punches him in the face to get him to finally tell them what the fuck's happening. And it's... Just what we already know from the end of the last issue that Rawhide Kid's being taken on as the sheriff's deputy. And um, after finding this out, uh, oh yeah, Catastrophe Jen, who was introduced at the very end of last issue, the only female member of the Gang of Outlaws, really likes killing other outlaws apparently. It's her thing. She keeps doing it. Um, and Pike is like, oh yeah, this one you're allowed to kill because he's already had an argument with her about killing too many of them. She also compliments his dirt map, so she and Pike are going to get along from here on out. <laughs> yeah, Jin is very much the like, she's the only female member of the gang, but she's also the most ruthless and most bloodthirsty. It's like that sort of character. And like I said before, I, I don't especially care for most of these scenes between the gang members, but I do sort of appreciate the constant sense that none of them give a fuck about each other. And, like, the degree and frequency with which they just keep, like, punching or shooting each other. You know, just, like, Catastrophe Jin just constantly offing them. And Pike being like, stop doing that, but not actually kicking her out because he doesn't actually really care about any of these people. I suppose just highlights the moral difference between these outlaws and the rawhide kid yeah um there's a bit later on where one of the members of the gang is like dying and is like oh this is like the only family i've ever had um and then pike is just like oh yeah no you can kill him oh god yeah like at the end of this scene too this one gang member who rawhide beat in a fight last time is like on my honor, I need to go find him and I need to fight him and I'll take him out myself. And Pike can tell that the man isn't going to back down. So he's just like, okay, 
go on down to town and try your best. And this specifically is like one of the members of the gang he's known the longest, his old pal. And once he's rode off out of panel, Pike goes, Well, what are y'all waiting for? Start digging a grave for him. That dumb bastard don't have a chance. <laughs> Meanwhile, back outside the sheriff's office, we have Morgan and the Rawhide Kid just sitting together, I guess just relaxed on duty. There's no crime happening. The bandits aren't around right now. Rawhide has stolen Matt Murdock's glasses and now looks exactly like Matt Murdock. Yeah, he's introducing this Wild West town to the concept of sunglasses. At one point in which he has to clarify to Matt that he means Paris, France, not Paris, Texas. And, my God, Maddie, we have got to drag you into the 19th century. He wants to dress this man. He wants to undress this man, is what he wants to do. He wants to undress this man, and then, after a little while, dress this man. Yeah. I'm going to order you a pair in blue. You'll look luscious. At this point, we get this two pair of brothers right in. They had heard about the open position for a deputy and rode into town because they were hoping to get jobs themselves. And, yeah, they're a pair of brothers. They are in their 30s. Their names are Hawes and Little Joe. Little Joe because he's the baby of the family, even though he's fucking 36. Like, they're grown men, but... Neither of them seems actually very smart or competent. And yeah, they just get to talking with the Rawhide Kid and with Matt. It becomes apparent from talking about like land and acres that these two are very well off financially. And Rawhide goes, one big, one gorgeous, and both rich. Not only is there a god, he has great taste. What can I say except let's do lunch. And he then takes these guys out to get food and says, Sheriff, don't wait up. <laughs> to which Matt says, there goes the most peculiar cowboy I ever met. <laughs> uh, to be clear, it's clear that their families are well off and not them, specifically. Sure, yeah. Yeah, like, he's partially delighted that they still live with their mother. Yeah. Weird what? taste, but okay. Yeah, that's a bit weird, but... <laughs> One big, one gorgeous, and both rich. I don't know, maybe maybe he likes the prospect of teaching them some things. I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, um, Matt watches the freesome-to-be that he doesn't realize is a freesome-to-be walk away, and he goes to have a picnic with Laura, who, as we mentioned last time, is the teacher in the town, and... I don't think is actually officially his girlfriend, but they're very clearly into each other, and... They regularly have lunch together outside the schoolyard, and she comes to his house and cooks him dinner, but um, they, they just sort of don't kiss for some reason. Yeah. It's weird. Wanna go ahead and do a read-through of this part with me? I guess I'll be Laura if you want to do Matt's accent. Sure. 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 I don't know. My pa used to say... Sometimes a good lunch is the best medicine in the world. He sure had a lot of sayings, your pa. Someday I'm going to write a book about him and my life in the small house on the prairie. Little. What? Little house sounds better than small house on the prairie, I think. So you got the George W. Bush last time. How about this Laura Ingalls Wilder joke? 
Oh, is is the, I have not read any of the Little House on the Prairie books because I wasn't interested. It is like so the the implication is she is a character from Little House on the Prairie. Uh, Laura Wilder is the offer, so the implication ah. is that she's the offer, and that those books that she's actually going to write her books about her life in the small, little what House on the Prairie. Okay. Yeah, I like it. It's cute. See, they could, they did have an opportunity here, though, to canonize all of the Little House on the Prairie books within the Marvel Universe, and I think they should have taken it. I honestly don't even know if this book is canon in the Marvel Universe. It is! All the Marvel books are canon. Is it? I mean, Marvel Heights had sequel series, right? I suppose. This is 616? I suppose. There's nothing saying this isn't 616, so it's 616 until someone's like, oh yes, that miniseries that was set in, like, Earth 287. It's 616 until we get a new rawhide kid to muddle up the sexuality situation like we did with the Pyros. But, yeah, I guess this is canon. Sure. Why wouldn't it be? It's not going to even affect anything anyway. (laughs) Well, that's sort of the thing, is it's like, it's so irrelevant that the idea of thinking of it in canon is kind of weird, because it's like, this really doesn't relate to literally anything else Marvel has ever published. Next time there's a big Kang story, everyone can get stranded in the Wild West for an issue, and meet Rawhide. Iceman, and Shatterstar, and Richter, and both Pyros, because they're both gay, damn it, can meet Rawhide. Northstar and Kyle... I'm now struggling to think of any more. Is there anyone on Avengers? No, oh, unless you Hercules. Can. Yeah. Hercules and Nova. Hercules has been around. Maybe he's not the Rawhide kid. Actually, actually, they should do a Hercules miniseries where there's a flashback issue where he and the Rawhide kid, like, met up and saved a small town because he's immortal, so he would have been around for this. He would be Rawhide's type. Rawhide has many types, but he would be Rawhide's type. <laughs> Big and gorgeous for uh, Hercules. He's like seven feet tall. Big and gorgeous, and probably rich if he has any of that god money. But, anywho, um, the member of the gang that we talked about earlier, uh, Pike's old friend with the wounded honor, shows up back in town and is ready for his revenge match. And the kids and everyone are watching on, and they start out excited and cheering on impressed by the things he's saying and like toby's going that's my paw yeah that's my paw when he's like impressed but then because matt won't tell the outlaw where rawhide kid is so he can go after him and is like standing up to him and then is like we should probably go somewhere else because you know there's kids here i don't want you to pull your gun out and start shooting in front of the children if we're gonna do this let's go over there Yeah, and after a bit of frustration, Matt just goes, You're under arrest. Get down off that horse and let's go over to the jailhouse. To which the kids go, Loser move. And Toby, more quietly, That's my paw. And yeah, once again, the lawman is, or rather, once again, the bandit is the faster draw. And he gets shot at again. And one of the kids goes, About Matt, he says, Too bad. He was doing right good there for a minute. (laughs) Meanwhile, Rawhide is testing the strength of these men who he is also really into, of the brothers who rode into town. Like, really buttering them up and, like, 
just stoking their egos with a arm wrestling contest to include just don't be too rough Hawes you're so strong uh to be clear Hawes is like sweating and struggling and leaning into it and Rawhide is just casually leaning over the table he is like clearly not trying at all but is still like trying to stoke the men's egos because he wants them yeah like the 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 arm wrestle's clearly just you know good way to get some physical contact rolling yeah and it's like holding hands but it's a competition (laughs) literally um someone in the crowd spectating this is like at a saloon a bar i guess and someone just goes hey haw get him haws to which rawhide says yes get me haws you too little joe both of you come get me oh golly haws you're so big and strong I don't think I can hold out much longer. You give? Every bit as good as I get. <laughs> a verse king. And in the middle of this, Toby opens up the door, running frantic to the saloon, screaming, My paw's in trouble! At which point Rawhide just slams the guy's hand down on the table quickly and runs out to go help. He does say, Oh, poo, first. As his reaction. Oh, poo. Again, this was a Max book. He could say, oh, shit. Yeah, like, there's no blood in this book that isn't just very dark smudges, like we said last time. And the cussing is also pretty much non-existent. Um, It would fit in a Western to have, like, some shits and some fucks in there. I don't know. Or at least, like, funnier period piece, like, joke curses than just, oh, poo. Yeah, as we said last time we covered this, the max rating is just here because we have a main character who is gay. Yeah. That's it. That's literally it. But our gay cowboy king strolls over to where Matt has been shot, and the disgruntled uh, outlaw says, I came here to kill you, boy. And Rawhide goes... Well, I'm not too thrilled with you right now, either. You have no idea what I had to pass up in that saloon. What kind of sissy talk is that? At which point, Rawhide Kid, who, like, you know, just has been standing, but does this giant fucking vertical kick, lifts his leg up to literally kick this man, who is also standing straight up, in the face, while just shouting, No, sir, don't like the name-calling, and... As he's beating the shit out of him, just is complaining some more. I am furious. Do you have any idea how hard it is to meet young, rich, good-looking men that still live with their parents in this part of the country? And Toby is spectating. And he shot Pa. (laughs) Which just pisses off the rawhide kid even more. He beats the shit out of this guy. Yeah. He doesn't kill him because Matt is still conscious and tells him not to. Even as a perk. Yeah, but yeah, he beats the man down, knocks him unconscious. They're going to take him to the jail cell in town. Matt is like, the guy was trying to scalp Matt, and Matt now has this huge gash over his forehead, bleeding blood, and he's like, is is my hair messed up? 
this might be the only like really explicit like actually like reddish colored blood that we've seen so far it's still something you can have in a normal marvel comic yeah but by the context of this series it's more extreme and he's just like is my hair messed up and rawhide is just like no hair's good just a little nick on your forehead you want to get the doctor before I vomit, please, to one of the kids. And the issue ends with Toby just looking tired, going, that's my paw. But yeah, that's issue yeah. three. <laughs> issue four, we have a cover by Darwin Cook. What do you think about this one? I think Darwin Cook is a legend, and I would absolutely read a Western series drawn by him. It is the least, like... All the previous covers, like, even Cover Fruit doesn't do it as much, have had, like, some kind of homoeroticism joke to it. This one could be any Western book, but it's a very good cover. It's Rawhide holding a gun to, like, a... Honestly, the cat, it looks like the Doctor from the book, which, like, isn't anything that happens in the story. He's holding a gun to, like, an older man with a mustache who's holding a gun up to him over a, um poker table and there's a woman sort of ducking behind the table shocked in like a saloon and they even like have a window in the background to give us like a nice westerny like mountain view through the window yeah cook's done it so that there's like no hard line art it's um it, it essentially looks like it's just the colors it's it's very good but yeah it's a cover yeah it's like i wonder if i would like it more on, like, an actual Darwin Cook Rawhide Kid book. I'd read the hell out of that. Yeah, it's like, because the art isn't bad, you know? Like, technically, you know it is Darwin Cook, but... The legend. Yeah, but just, as you said, of all the covers, it's the one that, like, is least cohesive with the Max logo in the corner and the parental advisory in the upper corner. Yeah, it's like, I guess, yeah. Maybe Darwin heard they were doing a Rawhide revival and was just like, let me add him. He does, he did love, like, all of the side characters. I mean, if you read DC New Frontier, 90% of it is about, like, characters from um, the military or, like, regular sci-fi books and not the superhero stuff. Yeah. That was, like, his jam. So I can just see him hearing about this and being like, give me a cover. Yeah. But anywho, onto the interior, um... Issue 4 essentially opens up with um, Matt being taken to the town doctor, and he asks, Am I a goner, Doc? To which the man says, Nah, Sheriff, I expect you'll live, although your reputation as a lawman is deader in hell. Which pisses Rawhide Kid off, as we've established. He loves him some Matt Morgan, and he goes, Nice. Do the words bedside manner mean anything at all to you, Dr. Charm? Rawhide really is, like, the one that Matt has in his corner. Like, him and Laura. Laura's, like, kind of in his corner. Yeah, like, she's into him, but she will also occasionally have a moment of, like, giving him the disappointed look. Whereas, Rawhide wants that wonderful daddy. And he's gonna uplift him every way he can. Anywho... We get another shot of, like, some of the town children looking in, like, through the window or the door or whatever. And one of Toby's friends says, I sure am glad my pa's a barber. I couldn't take the pressure. Oh, shut up. Which, like, you know, 
beyond like Matt's own internal sense of disappointment and everything, you know, like a lot of the series is about just like societal expectation and like one's role in their community and like how they're seen by others. And like the barber thing's a joke, but it's true. It's funny. The thing about like a book like this of like a Western small town or about anything where it's like trying to sell you on a story that primarily centers on like a relatively insular setting where like outside of say Rawhide, most of the people like living there, they don't like move around a whole lot. You know, it's a very like sedentary rural sort of community, you know, just like everyone's relationships and the way that they see each other really matters because it's not like any of these people are gonna be able to just hop in their car and move to New York or something, you know? I like just that sort of sense of this is a small town where everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Speaking of everybody, Mayor Bush reappears. We get him, the newspaper man, all talking a bit to Rawhide Kid, and we get... Not sure if they ever specifically call him a pastor, but like a religious man, a man of the book, who asks, Gentlemen, shall we clasp hands and drop to our knees and pray to the good Lord to keep us safe from harm? Which everyone says no. No one is about that shit. Although Rawhide was at least there for a part of it, because he says, The clasping hands and getting on our knees part sounded interesting, but prayer... I think the sex jokes in this book are funny. I don't know. Sue me. <laughs> like, you know, I know some people would want, like, more explicit whatever the hell and not just innuendo, but I think it's funny. I, yeah, I, I think the clasping hands bit's funny. I, I, like, I might find the panel earlier funnier where he's like, oh, let's pray for safety, and everyone's just like, uh, no. Literally the whole <laughs> line going, no thanks, that's okay. Even Some the other bush. time. Even the Bush character is like, mm-mm. Like, they're being sort of nice about it, but everyone's just like, I want to do this shit. The guy asks again, and um, Rawhide says, no, I'm agnostic, which, yeah, that's great. <laughs> we get a flashback to the bandits camp where they don't realize that Rawhide kids spared their I guess just fellow bandit, bandit teammates. Red Duck. Life. Yeah. Is the guy's name for some insane reason. He is neither Red nor a duck, so. He, yeah. How would the Duck Rawhide crossover? God. Anyway. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they don't realize Red Duck is alive. Never cared to check, but they have made a burial mound because they just assumed that he would die so they like set up a little patch of dirt it's a safe assumption it truly is and the eulogy includes so instead of wasting time recovering his shot to pieces body i figured we'd just have the funeral now which so long pod truly like getting back to how little any of these people care about each other it's like We can't even be bothered to get his body. Just get a shovel, plant some dirt, someone grab a couple sticks, and we're good. They took the time to carve red duck onto the sticks. That that must have taken at least ten minutes. Fair enough. But yeah, we get 
more of just the bandits arguing with each other after this, after the sort of funeral stuff. Just like a whole page of them arguing about, like, how ridiculous each other's religions are. Yeah, which this is one of the pages where uh, the previously mentioned Asian and Native American characters get some of their only lines of dialogue. So it's effectively just Pike telling them how stupid he thinks their non-white religions are, which, again, I did not need this. I think the, 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 the sort of final joke of it, in fairness to the book, is Pike then says, by far the most ridiculous thing, as though it is a sensible thing to believe in. Yeah, and then he goes, or like, in reaction to others saying that like the things they believe in are real, um, Pike says, Yeah, well I seen a picture in the paper of a contraption called a bicycle with two wheels, that you set on and pedal your legs up and down, and it carries you around wherever you want to go, but that don't make it real. But yeah, Cisco Pike thinks that bicycles are too newfangled to be true. I, I think at this point they would have been, though. Yeah, I, I did not pull up the Wikipedia page to research bicycles before recording. I don't think they quite were at the dirt bike place yet, so they probably needed, you know paved roads so like if they're just in the cities when's pike gonna see one of them yeah speaking of the roads we get one of their fellow bandits is galloping up on his horse yells hey guess what and the gang just opens fire they're all spooked and jumpy i guess and they just fire off every shot they have into this one guy Literally, this man did nothing threatening, said nothing threatening, but literally so many BAM sound effects. This man and his poor horse are just dropped to the damn ground, at which point Catastrophe Jin goes, Hey, isn't he one of ours? Ah, hell's bells, we killed another one. And essentially, basically, his dying last words as he's talking to his former boss, Pike, is just that Red Duck isn't actually dead. He's in uh, the jail cell. And, yeah, Pike doesn't even really take this as good news. It's just one more thing to do on his to-do list of, like, we gotta take the town and kill the Rawhide Kid, and we have to rescue him now. I feel like you can just rescue him when you take the town. Yeah, like, If, if you're killing everyone in the town anyway, at that point, opening a jail cell is pretty fucking easy. Yeah, doesn't actually seem like that big of a deal, but Pike does not like his oldest friend very much. Some more stuff about Pike's bad dirt maps, yada yada. More just like whatever talk among the bandits. And we get a flash to the doctor's office again. Toby is saying more cruel things to his father. And the doctor says, Boy, I'm glad he ain't my kid. Course having you for a daddy don't look like no picnic either. The very drunk doctor. He has fully been drunk holding the bottle the entire time he's been working on Matt. And this is gonna segue us into one of the most pivotal scenes in the whole thing, I would say probably, where Rawhide is once again talking to Matt about being a good father, and in the midst of the talk, Rawhide starts trembling, 
says, This is just too tragic. A boy and beloved father, his papa, his dada, torn apart by the violence that embodies the rugged West. I can't stand it. To which Matt says that he's taken it harder than he is. And Rawhide Kid says, Sorry, this really hits me where I live. As we get the dramatic, we get the dramatic tiny tears starting to pour from the edges of the eye, including like a literal like close-up panel as they begin to pour. And we then get a page-long flashback told in eight panels of a child-aged rawhide kid, Johnny Bart being his real name, essentially getting ganged up on and getting attacked by other children his age. And the Rawhide Kid's father is off to the side of the panels. He looks drunk, has a cigar, drinking, and the Rawhide Kid is yelling, Papa, help me! Oh God, they're hurting me! Pa! And one of the children that's beating him up says, He ain't gonna help you, little sissy Johnny Bart. Your pa's just the town drunk, and even he knows what a girly boy you is. And, yeah, Rawhide asks why they're doing this. They say it's because he's a sissy and they don't like no dang sissies. Johnny continues to yell out to his father for help, while everyone sings together that he's a sissy as they're beating the shit out of him. At which point the father starts walking toward him, and Johnny Barr is crying and is saying, Papa, I knew you'd save me. Did you see what they did? And we get a panel that's literally just the fist, just punching his own son in the face, followed by him slapping him and yelling, Shut the hell up, you damn sissy boy. You make me sick. Bad enough I gotta be the laughing stock of town, but now I got you prouncing round, not even able to fight your own fights. I curse the day your mama bore you, and I curse the day she died and left you with me. Well, what in the hell are you looking at, sissy? As Johnny Bard is still crying, but his expression is turned like harder and more angry. And he goes, you, Papa, I'm finally looking at you. In flashback. Anyway, that's the most important eight panels in the whole book. All of that, again, I'll reiterate, that entire flashback is one page. It's really effectively told. This this one page makes the whole book work. Certainly work a lot better for me. Like, I enjoyed it on, like, a level of, okay, this is silly fun. This, like, actually brings it home and ties all the themes and all the stuff that it's getting into together really effectively. Yeah, it's like, it takes the handling of the sexuality to a place where it's not just, you know, humorous can't be fun, which, as we've discussed, you know, I've enjoyed throughout. But it takes a brief moment to ground the character and show, like, a more vulnerable moment in his past that sort of just helps flesh him out more, gives more insight into who he is and where he comes from, and... Yeah, I think it's just really important tonally and that, like, even though this is still a comedy book in a lot of ways, I think it's just really important to still taking the story seriously and also goes a long way in terms of just, you know, like, they're not using the word gay, you know, or homosexual or whatever, 
But this is fully just a gay bashing scene, you know? Well, they wouldn't have, like, in the context of the time, I don't think they would have said gay anyway. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, like, that wouldn't have been the term. But just, like, point being that, like, you know, even if, like, the term they're using is sissy, yada yada, and it may be more based on, like, his mannerisms, you know, than anything else, it's like, this is, for all intents and purposes, a gay bashing scene, and... I think just goes a long way in establishing the series as one that has something to say and like a gay lead character that it takes seriously and like I suppose honors as more than just a source of gay cowboy jokes you know and like not to frown on any of that because again we're loving the gay cowboy jokes but also I think the existence of, like, a scene like this, like, helps make it feel okay to laugh at everything, you know? Like, we've talked about stereotypes a bit, but because there's, like, this serious emotional moment here, you know, it takes it to the level of, this is a comic about a stereotypically effeminate gay man who we are allowed to empathize with and see in a positive light and not just this is nothing but an effeminate man queening it up for five issues, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, like, an immediate, like, if you're wondering why did the Rawhide Kid go through so much trouble to become the best gunman in the West, it uh, makes a lot more sense now that you've read this page. Very just, like, survival thing of, you know, it doesn't even need to go any further in his past and origin and, like, give you more specifics of trauma or anything, but it's very just, like, this is what he went through to have to learn to defend himself, essentially. Yeah. And also just ties in to why he is so earnestly, legitimately just impressed by Matt Morgan as a man and, like, as a father trying to do right by his kid, and why he then gets pissed off at Toby as well for not appreciating that but yeah gay bashing flashback aside we're back um, to the drunk doctor yeah rawhide you know calms himself down a bit and everyone's sort of talking next steps of what to do the townspeople have all been gathered because earlier in the issue rawhide said he would need everyone's help to beat the bandits um and for mayor bush to gather everyone in town at which point he goes up there and tells them that he needs them all to leave town so they don't get in the damn way. Literally that. It's just like, there's not a damn one of you that could do anything to help me, or maybe you would even hurt me. <laughs> get out of town, please. And, yeah, essentially he's telling everyone to get out of town. They're all going to leave ahead of the bandits coming back, and Rawhide's gonna try and make a last stand, which... Yeah, Laura establishes that she's going to stay and not let him fight alone. And the issue ends before the final battle on the last one with Rawhide going and talking to Toby. It's just like, don't you realize how hurtful you're being to your father? And at one point, Toby says, First chance I get, I'm leaving here, changing my name and never coming back. To which Rawhide asks, and what are you going to do out there in the world? Travel around and help folks. Be just like you. A real man. And at the implication of being called a real man, Rawhide says, 
sweetie, that is about as gray an area as it gets. And just a bit more talking, Rawhide just reiterates what a great father Toby has, how much his father loves him, and that he has feelings. And Toby, there's a lot more to courage than being the world's deadliest shot and greatest hand-to-hand -hand fighter like moi. And basically we get, again, just like Toby being like, I still wish you was my paw. And Rawhide says, well, don't. If I'd had a papa like yours instead of dot dot dot, oh, never mind. I have to go and finish the job your father had the guts to start. And I'm thrilled to leave because I don't like you very much right now, Toby Morgan. And he's going off on his steed, and that is the to be continued. Heading into issue five, we have another cover that is kind of could have been on any Western book. This is J. Scott Campbell, who readers, this man is known for titty covers. That's it, period. He is known for drawing Big Boobah Mary Jane Watson, Big Boobah Black Cat. Oh, is it the one of Mary Jane in, like, the Spider-Man shirt with the, the like, Spider-Man heart logo on it? I'm not immediately sure with just... I think it is. Probably. Yeah. With just the amount of... I don't even want to call him a cheesecake artist because, I don't know, cheesecake could potentially have validity... I also just don't think his art looks very good most of the time. Like, this cover, it's not ugly, it's just really generic. It's just rawhide on a horse. And if there's anything to just be the exact opposite of this book's sheer homoeroticism, it's a generic Western image by a straight pinup artist. Yeah, it's weird how after the first two covers, these covers have just gotten less and less fun and it's a shame in my opinion yeah it's just generic it's not even like ugly bad it's just not giving anything but anywho yeah we're diving into issue number five rawhide and laura are stationed in the jail he's found her address in a color that flatters rather than insults and she's thanking him for all of the beauty tips that he's given her yeah, the two are just sort of having some nice discussion as they wait for the bandits to arrive. They are getting friendlier, less, like, snippy. They seem to, like, be starting to actually like each other, and... They've realized that they're both in love with Matt, and they just need to deal with it. Yeah. He says, and I quote, Some of my best friends are women with terrible taste, Laura. So, yeah. It's just Johnny Barr and his fag hag. The bandits arrive in town to fight. I'm going to sort of zoom through this relatively. Parts of it are just like... They're fighting. Yeah, they're fighting. Rawhide's really good at it. He keeps winning. He keeps winning, thankfully, especially against just like, you know, we get sort of some of your typical bandits are like sexually threatening Laura and telling her what fun they'll have once they get to her, and Rawhide's just beating the shit out of them for that and everything else. Toby hid out in town because he's a fucking idiot. Yeah, Toby has been hiding here this whole time, so now Rawhide has to look out for both Laura and Toby's safety. And, oh yeah, also Matt 
is still here. He had just been resting from being injured and fucked up and walks in at one point where essentially it's going to become a matter of they can hear all the rest of the outlaws outside and it's going to be up to Matt and the Rawhide Kid to go make their final stand for the town. Oh, Matt calls Rawhide Kid Trey while throwing him the cane that he's been using to help him walk so that Rawhide Kid can have a little sword fight and he's really happy that uh, Matt remembered to call him Trey. Yeah. I'm sure this is a reference to something, but it's kind of cute anyway. Yeah, it's cute anyway. And yeah, when the Rawhide Kid says he's going to go fight the outlaws, Matt says he's going to come with. Toby asks why, but he's a little shit about it. And Matt says, because I'm the sheriff, son, no matter what you think of me, I took a pledge to uphold the law here, and I mean to do my best. Maybe I'll never win a fight, but that don't mean I run from one. At which point, Rawhide is like wiping a tear from his eye, saying, if you make me cry, I'm not going to be able to shoot straight, you big crazy lug. And yeah, Matt turns to... His family's just like, if we don't come back, uh, and Rawhide's just like, then we're dead. And they all look at him just like distraught and upset. And he's just like, kidding, stop with the faces. I always win these things. Toby, you watch us from the window, okay? I want you to see me in action. And yeah, the two men go out to fight the bandits, Rawhide or Trey is helping Matt a little bit with like his badass talk as like Matt's just like or or and Rawhide has to whisper to him else demanding like the surrender so that they can all be legally arrested and all the outlaws are just laughing at him because they just aren't going to do that yeah and so it's all going to come down to this to this shooting with Cisco Pike saying on free slap lever and Trey says another great expression wink Everyone starts counting, one, two, and Matt interjects, two and a half. And from the window, we get uh, Toby, ah, oh, pa, not two and a half. <laughs> and then Matt, um, and then the Rawhide kid saying, Matt, come on, your boy's watching. <laughs> and essentially what's going to happen is that the rest of Cisco Pike's gang are going to get taken out easily. Yeah, Rawhide pulls out his gun and is just, like, immediately blasting them all down. Matt is... I think his gun gets stuck, because it takes him, like, two panels to get it out. And then he's already been, like, shot once and is falling over while firing it. Yeah, he, like, takes some shots to the shoulder and leg. He's, like, doing his best to do what he can while, like, on the ground. He's not, like, dead, but he is... Wounded. Yeah. Lightly maimed. And at this point, we're going to get the showdown with everybody. And essentially what happens is that Rawhide pretends to get shot and taken out by using, like, the equivalent of a fake blood pack in his chest. And he then ends up shooting Cisco Pike in such, like, timing as to, like, match when Matt would be shooting. Cisco Pike gets shot through the chest and essentially what Rawhide has done is he's like disguised what he's done to give Matt the credit and the moment of like victory to include just like the panel of Matt saying, and I told you, you weren't getting near my son and my woman. And it's basically like 
you know, Rawhide came into this town as the super competent outsider who's been, like, uplifting Matt continuously, but has nonetheless been the one who's receiving all the credit and all of the adoration of the town. And then this final moment, he engineers things in such a way to make Matt look like the hero who did everything and just sort of allow Matt to get his reputation back in the eyes of his son and of his uh, family and of the town as a whole. An important part as well is, like, so, obviously Toby runs out and is like, I'm sorry for everything I said, you're the bravest hero in the West. Um, and his dad says, because I killed a man? And Toby's like, because you tried not to? Because, literally, the reason that Matt has been losing every single fight is because he opens every single fight with, like, surrender, and no one has to get hurt. Or, can we not do this in front of the children? Could we go somewhere where children will not accidentally get shot, please? And he doesn't want to kill people, unlike everyone else. Yeah. I, thematically, I like what happens here in terms of, like, Rawhide sort of bowing out and, like, recognizing his status as the outsider and trying to do what he can for the betterment of the town, even if that involves, like, deceiving them a little bit. I, part of me is like, is Toby's change of heart earned... But I suppose at the end of the day, this is a child character and children are fickle. And he did just see his dad beat the bandit everyone's been afraid of. So I suppose it makes sense, but... Would you say that Rawhide is not the hero they deserved, but the hero that they needed? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much literally that. And yeah, while they're having like the father-son bonding moment, uh, Rawhide is talking to Laura... She's the only one that informs of, like, the trick that he pulled and is, like, telling her to, like, hide, like, the extra gun he had done it with and just, like, get rid of the evidence, yada yada. And she says, I love you, rawhide kid. And he replies, I've never said this to a woman in my life, but call me Trey. If anyone knows for sure if the name Trey is, like, specifically chosen for something and why and what, please let me know. But yeah, we then zoom forward a little bit in the future to a splash page of a wedding ceremony between Matt and Laura. Officiated by Mayor Bush. Officiated by Mayor Bush. Rawhide is there in like a suit version of his outfit crying, which I guess to go back a page, uh, Rawhide and her had a brief talk. And she was like, you gonna fight me for him? And he says, only if you don't let me help you pick out a decent wedding dress. And yeah, yeah, he is resolved to her having Matt goes to the wedding, is teary-eyed. Um, Toby is like holding the little like ring cushion thing and like a miniature kid-sized version of the Rawhide Kids outfit. And Catastrophe Jane is there for some reason. And it, she's got... This, I think she's the new deputy, is the implication here, which is absolutely insane. It is very strange. This is not explained in dialogue at all. But she's just there with a star on her chest and, and a woman a, on her arm. And a buxom babe on her arm. That is a buxom babe. She's right from the cover of issue three. Yeah, and yeah, Mayor Bush is officiating this wedding. And afterward... The rawhide kid is getting up on his horse to leave town. Matt says, We're gonna miss you round here. 
and the kid says, well, I might just miss you badly dressed people a little bit myself. They do the whole sort of obligatory, you could settle down here, have a home, and yeah, Rawhide Kid just says his nature is to ride, not settle down. He is a will-o'-the-wisp, a tumbleweed, moving about. But specifically, he associates settling down in the town with having a girlfriend. Like, they don't mention having a girlfriend. He does. He is... I think he's specifically referring to, because the line is, the thought of having a girlfriend to talk to Oh, is he's talking tempting. about Laura. Yeah, he means, like, having... <laughs> he means, like, Laura is as good Judy to, like, talk with. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know what? That makes a bit more sense now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Me reading a lot more into it than it was that. Okay, moving on. Yeah, no, he's not talking about repressing himself. <laughs> or at least not like that. But yeah, he starts to run off into the sunset on his horse. Toby does the obligatory running after him, crying. Like, kid, come back, kid. You know, Rawhide's just like, doesn't he know that's not how this works? Toby gives up after a little bit. And the final splash page of the issue and of the series is just Rawhide on his horse with the, like, nice pink sunset and all of the vegetation and mountains. And then we just get back to the same captioning that opened up the series with A true legend isn't made, it's born. His name was Johnny Bart, but most everybody called him the Rawhide Kid. Where he was from and where he was going remain, like most legends, cloaked in mystery. But one thing was for sure. If you saw the kid riding into your town, things would never be the same again. And in the town of Plum Springs, they never were. And that's the Rawhide Kid. The end. Yeah, um, from talking off mic, I got the sense that... Not that you disliked it before, but that you, like, much more solidly liked the series, having read the uh, latter half. Yeah, as is pretty usual with me, having read the whole thing, I now appreciate it a lot more knowing everything that it's doing, and, like, what it was aiming for from the start. Um, yeah. The more emotional stakes as well in the back half, I think, really helped as well, because, like... A lot of the first two issues is purely humor and bringing in, like, a bit more... Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, it definitely grounds itself more in the latter half, which I think goes a long way in terms of just making it more of a standout. Yeah, I think it's just a really interesting example of the sort of concept of, I suppose, just, like, queering a pre-existing character... And especially one who's, you know, like, this isn't, like, outing an X-Man. This isn't doing something with, like, a really relevant character. This was literally going back to a character who hadn't mattered in 30 years. And, you know, like, weaves what it's doing with sexuality and with what it's doing thematically. And, like, really tailors it to the setting of just, like, the West and Westerns and... The concept of, you know, like, the gunman who rides into town is, like, an outsider who, like, blows through and changes things, but is ultimately, like, still separate from society. And I don't know, I just think it's really interesting and cool of just, like, 
the sort of like folklorically sort of famous like have you heard of the rawhide kid is that even really a real person sort of just kind of like a living legend vibe to it which i think is just really interesting coupled with what it's doing with regards to what this gay man had to do to survive and gain his reputation and everything and also it's fun yeah all of that <laughs> basically was was my thought process on it and like yeah yeah are you looking forward to the inevitable mcu rawhide kid disney plus series please don't speak that into existence starring um i don't know neil patrick harris or something please don't speak that into existence <laughs> i i think it would be i would pick lee pace but you know that they would do lee, neil patrick harris a disney rawhide kid much, i can't even imagine much like this series would not deserve a max label <laughs> yeah i yeah they would never do a version of rawhide that was all this and that i would want to see like no disney product is gonna be giving like i'm not used to sleeping in a room full of men alone house full of men house full of men alone alone <laughs> them jeans look like they were painted on yeah no i can't think of anything in this series would be in the disney plus series that they will inevitably do at some point they're gonna run out of characters eventually they will get to the western ones they can do Kid Cold or something. Don't let them touch this. Rawhide Kid and the Infinity Stones. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you have any final thoughts or is that pretty much everything? No, I just needed to speak that into existence. You stop that. But yeah, um, what are we going to be doing next week? Issues 4 through 8 of Bionicle. That's right, we're going back. It's the Bow Rock now. Yep. We'll be doing more Bionicle next week, so thank you for listening. Um, go pick up this critically maligned series and do what we did and realize it was great. And next time, we'll be talking about toys. So see you then, and bye. Bye, everyone. Press, press, and Eric, 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 Eric. Off, 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 off.